for my ally is the Force. And a powerful ally it is. Life creates it. Makes it grow. Its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings shall be not this crude matter. You must feel the force around you. Here, between you, me, the tree, the rock, everywhere. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. Don't know the power of the dark side. If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. I got a bad feeling about this. Welcome to episode 155 of Blue Harvest. I'm your host, Halls Burkhart. And I'm your host, Will Witten. And we've got another guest this week, keeping that guest train a-rolling. It's from the Bad Motivators and the Sith List, Mr. Eric Strothers. I, I can't tell if you're trying to imitate me or Ned Flanders. It's, you know, it's really it's a probably tough a little bit of both. You know, honestly, I'm not great at doing impressions of people I actually know. They're very like they're very much a caricature. Like when I do my brother-in-law Goose, he doesn't sound anything like the impression I do of him. <laughs> I'm pretty good at doing an impression sounds, of my mom. Your impression kind of sounds like Boomhauer from uh, King of the Hill. Right. So really, if it's someone I know and I'm doing an impression, it's kind of like what the cartoon version of them would sound like if they were in an animated show. So that's, you know, that's what you would sound like in my version of uh, The Simpsons. You'd, you'd sound a little like Ned Flanders. It's much appreciated. I do. I really enjoy hearing it. <laughs> so uh, our buddy Eric here, we got to spend some time with. Uh, shit. It's been a month already. Um, on our trip to California, and that was a good ass time. And it sure look, was. Looking forward to spending a little time, more time with him next year at Star Wars Celebration. Absolutely, man. I I wish I could have spent more time with you guys in L.A., but you, the crowds were just mobbing Hawes. Don't let him no, tell you weren't. any other story. Mm, They're mm, like, mm. "Oh my gosh, is that Hawesburg And uh, I was just left in the back. Jumping up and down. I'm over here. I'm over here, Hoss. Nah, man. That, you that doesn't surprise me at all. You couldn't get pa get to me because too many people were standing in line to check out your hair. Like, so don't <laughs> don't try to put this on me, Eric Strothers. Uh, Strothers. Sorry. See, I fucked it up. I knew it was a matter of time. It's dude. You're fine. I remember very vividly the night at Celebration Orlando where we were all hanging out. It was like the last or the second to last. Uh, night we're all hanging out and and like eric laid down the law like he looked at me and johnny and somebody else 
was there too. Maybe a Raj. And he was like, I just got to tell you guys, it's Strothers. It's not Struthers. It's Strothers. And ever <laughs> since then, I was like, all right, I'm, I need to make a mental note and be very specific about that. Because I get it. I have one of those names that people mess up all the time, you know? Howard, Howard Burkhart. Yeah, Howard Burkhart. It's like um, <laughs> like I, I, I'm going to uh, ask Randy for making Star Wars to come on Blue Harvest sometime soon. And buddy, like I'm gonna like I'm gonna have to talk to him and be like, please help me with your last name. I don't want to mess it up. Send me the phonetic spelling <laughs> yeah. of your last name. Let me let me figure this shit out, buddy. Lejudice. <laughs> Is that right? Is that wrong? I don't know. Like, because that's how that's how he pronounces it. Like a, Yeah, the G the G is uh, it's like Jacino, so it's Lejudice. Like I said, as someone who constantly or pretty regularly has their name messed up, I feel you guys' pain, so I try to be as accommodating as possible and nail that shit. So, well, I, I appreciate it. How do you think poor Kiati Mundy feels when he listens to this podcast? We have a, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. I think if I were him and I saw the adoration that came out of this podcast for him, he'd be like, you know what? My name is Kia D. They're right, <laughs> oh. and I've been wrong my whole life. Speaking of which, I have spent, no joke, the last six months feverishly, feverishly trying to track down Silas Carson. Okay, He's the gentleman who plays Kiati Mundi in the Star Wars prequels. I want nothing more than... To have him come on the show. He is like oh, our number God, one. That would be you incredible. know what I'm saying? And and it's something I haven't talked about because I was hoping I could pull it off out of thin air and, and get him on the show. But I can't figure it out, guys. So if by some weird chance, one of our listeners out there knows how I can get in contact with him. And just so I can contact him and tell him how much, how awesome all you moisture farmers would think it would be if he came on the show and stuff. Let me know. I don't know how to do this shit, guys. I would love to have him on, and I'm at my wits' end trying to figure it out. So, uh, just throwing that out there. Um, so we don't have a ton. We're not overflowing with uh, Star Wars news this week, but that's okay. We got our buddy Eric here to talk about or talk with. We sit here and talk about Eric while he's talk about Eric. Yeah, I could <laughs> all night. That'd be great, man. Um, and. Uh, we got some emails and voice messages to catch up, so this week is probably a good week for that. But uh, before we do that, it's business time. You mm. can uh, like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash blueharvestpodcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram at blueharvestpod. You can email us at blueharvestpodcast at gmail.com. We have a tea Public store with a lot of awesome designs. You can check those out at tpublic.com slash user slash Blue Harvest Podcast. And we are so damn happy to be part of the Making Star Wars Podcast Network, the best damn ass Star Wars podcasting network in the galaxy. The best. And you might be wondering, like, maybe this is your first show. Oh, I wonder what other shows are on the Making Star Wars Podcast Network. Well, that's easy. There's the Sith List with our buddy Eric here. And three other dudes. I don't know about those guys. Who knows about those guys? What are they up to? I don't know. Like, one of them hates Spider-Man. Why does Boo hate Spider-Man? I don't Aww. know. Now this is podcasting. Steel Wars, Rebel Girl, 
The Sith List. Oh, that's twice. Podcast 2187, Rogue One, Tarkin's Top Shelf, Cantina Cast, Idiot's Array, First Order Transmissions, and The Cargo Hold. So there's the business. You know what I like about your business? I did you what did, what did you I'm going to make a self critique of the business. What did you like, Will? I like about your business that it is efficient and it has its own cadence and that it's it's um effective. Like you convey everything that our listeners might lean, need to know effectively and efficiently. And I like the cadence that you develop. Like it it has a certain The cadence rhythm. is all that because i've memorized like that's how i've memorized it like that's my little tool on memorizing all that information it's like if your brain had a sound that was like it's morris code that's that's what it sounds like um my self-critique i tried to get fancy and i was like well eric's our special guest so i'm gonna mention the podcast he's on first so i did sith list first and it threw off my whole end of business did you hear that no anyways Dr. Landing. So, Eric, buddy, we actually had, before we get to the Star Wars, we had a special request from a listener when we mentioned that okay. you guys were going to be on this week. Um, there's something that Eric and I are both fans of, and that's uh, the metal music. More metal than your mom's tea kettle, Eric mm. Strothers. Uh, for you guys that don't know, Eric is in a fucking metal cover band throw the horns right and there's some umlaut business going in on in there <laughs> yes sir above yes, sir. both those yeah you you know a band is fucking metal when there's two uses of the umlaut yeah if there's two <laughs> umlauts in there look the fuck out those dudes will fuck yeah. you <laughs> that is so right uh so i love heavy metal myself i'm not oh i'm not saying you don't know I'm not the small sommeliers of heavy metal that you two guys are, but you know I hang in there. Uh, can I interest you in a Ride the Lightning? Uh, it is a 1985 vintage. Uh, great year. Uh, might I recommend starting with a little Creeping Death? Um, Eric, tell us a little bit about your cover band. I've seen some clips of, and and like I've shared some clips by the way with my buddy Steve. Um, you sent me video of Bark at the Moon one yeah. time? <laughs> so I'm one of those guys where I've been playing guitar forever. And I, like, for example, I'm the music director at my church, but I've got long hair. I play a flying V and I play it at church. And people are like, that Eric, man, he's a pretty good guitar player. But the other guitar player in my band is like a freak show phenom. He's a virtuoso level, and I am totally cool with that. And Pete, you see him, and it's like my friends will come to see the show, and they all end up over on his side of the stage with their cell phones out filming him. It's ridiculous <laughs> watching this guy play. But we do this thing at the, the outro solo of Park at the Moon. It's like this series of arpeggios that the the pattern is better 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 okay and so we trade off the arpeggios and and then combine it into the one big like Iron Maiden style harmonized solo that's it is pretty metal. All right, um, quick pop quiz, flash round, okay, Sithless style. What's your favorite Metallica album? Ride the Lightning. Oh my man, I feel like everybody goes fucking master of puppets which is great i'm not saying master of puppets isn't great there's something about ride the lightning if you took that song escape 
off of Ride the Lightning, it would literally be a 10 out of 10 perfect album. I agree. I totally agree. Um, funnily enough, I was watching some live Metallica videos on YouTube the other day, and I came across this compilation that was like rare Metallica songs performed live. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's not something I'm really familiar with, like what they, because they have such a huge catalog. I don't know how, you know, common some of these songs are to hear live. And the very first one was Escape. And like, it had like a three minute intro of James Hetfield being like, yep, we're going to play it. You know what we're going to play. We never play it. Here it comes. So even they know that song is fucking doo-doo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it stands out on that record in a really weird way. And I mean, I don't hate the song, but I don't like it on that, on that album. Because that's, that was from the day when, my God, when I was young. But that was from a time where when you got an album, you listened to it from stem to stern. Right. When you got it out, you started oh, on one and you times. went till it was done. Yeah. And you didn't you started just. started over again. Exactly. Uh, what's your favorite Megadeth album? <sighs> Probably Holy Wars. Or so Rust in Peace. Rust I mean, in I peace, guess is yeah. the name of the album. Yeah. Uh, you, well, you, Holy Wars is the jam on the album. That and Hangar 18 are pretty bad, pretty tough to beat. Yeah, yeah dude. The, both of those songs are. The whole record is great. And what's cool about that that era of metal is it's before they got into like the, the super down tune guitars. So yeah. it's everything is in standard tuning and there's it's the mastering, it's not super like low end heavy. It's just more about <laughs> this thrashy onslaught of awesomeness. And Dave Mustaine, his can't see me making air quotes, his singing <laughs> The fact that he can do it while he plays that stuff is mind-boggling. Look, I I love that album. I like Megadeth, but Megadeth has never been one of those bands where I was like, the reason I like Megadeth is because of the vocals. You know what I mean? Cryogenics! <laughs> oh. My buddy Steve and I used to have like crack ourselves up doing Dave Mustaine impressions there was like a year period where we would just send each other dave mustaine gifts and stuff and it would crack us up (laughs) so bad because we were like because you know i don't know if you know some of our listeners might not know dave mustaine was an original member of metallica and they kicked the dude out for drinking too much which (laughs) you have to like when you compare that like when you say that and then hear about the stories of how much Metallica used to drink. They used to have shirts that said Alcoholica on them. That dude must have been able to crush some fucking beers, dude. Um, well, and it, I think what goes along with that is that the, like how worthless he got when he drank. I think you can tolerate somebody's drinking when they're high functioning. Right. But if they're a sloppy, mean mess all the time, it gets tough to deal with. And, um, you know... Had he stayed in the band, it's like what I like to imagine. We did this one time with Steve on the show where, you know, famously, um, Kurt Russell tried out for the role of Han Solo. And we like to do this crazy what if of what if Harrison Ford, like things were reversed and Harrison Ford played every Kurt Russell role 
and Kurt oh, Russell yeah. played every Harrison Ford role. But it's funny to imagine an alternate universe where Dave Mustaine didn't get kicked out of Metallica and he ended up doing all the background vocals, like in Hit the Lights. He'd be all like, Hit the Lights! Oh, <laughs> love it. Love it. <laughs> One of my favorite Dave Mustaine lyrics to hear him sing is in, uh, um, uh, let me think, is it Tornado Souls? Um, is it, uh, how, what's the last song? Um, uh. I think you're right. On rest in peace. Um, you say, uh, I spread disease like a dog. Discharge my payload. <laughs> it's, it's that one, man. You do a way better Dave Mustaine than I do. I kind I have kind of a high voice for a dude. So <laughs> it's, I think it just goes along with it. Um, right on. Well, Josh Chapman, buddy, that was for you. You're the one that said you wanted to hear us talking about some metal. So we talked about some metal. I don't know what else to talk about metal. Like, uh, it's been a while since I've gotten a new metal album where I was like, "This is the shit." And also, I get a little weird about bringing up music genres because I'll be like, "Oh, I like that this and this metal album," and somebody will be like, mm, "Well, actually, that's not a metal album. It's more of a post-hardcore album." And I'll be like, "It's fucking heavy," and I can fucking makes me want to. Fucking break something. It's metal. Yeah, dude, that's that's like kind of sword. The bright area. Is is that metal? Right. The sword is a band that I would consider metal. The but sword, if, Mastodon. Yeah, if I said, Oh, they're metal, someone would be like, No, that's more that's progressive punk. Stoner rock, post stoner rock, actually. Oh, that's oh no, man. It's fucking heavy. It's riffs for days. I call it metal. Yeah, man, same. It's it's a blanket deal. It's because stuff that like I considered metal, people are like, no, that's really considered hard rock now. Okay, whatever, man. Right, right. Van ha- Van Halen used to be hard rock. No, they're pop now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. All right. Um, what's uh, what's your favorite song to cover in your in your oh. band? This might surprise some people, man, but I think my favorite tune that we do is Separate Ways by Journey. Oh, I love that song. And I'll tell you why, man. One of our big deals in this band. That's one of my favorite songs in life. Yeah, it's it's so good. The... uh, um, one of our big things is the big stack vocals. We're fortunate enough where our lead singer has this really really wide range and the stuff we do some of the stuff we do is borderline ridiculous and his his control is is crazy like he i don't know man for any singers out there like he's able to his falsetto voice which for people that don't know falsetto is like when you're like the bgs would you sing like this and it's not it's not your diaphragm full power voice his he can transition from his chest voice to his head voice, falsetto voice without a gap. And it's just as loud and you can't even tell that it happened. And, uh, so we'll do stuff like living dead girl, which is, and then the next thing we're doing is heartbreaker by Pat Benatar. And it, so we, and then we have three background vocalists, one of which is me who can all harmonize really well. And so we do these big, thick choruses. And uh, Separate Ways, it's 
everything about the song, the structure of it's really cool. And the, our vocals on it just kill. And I play the solo in that one. And it's like, it's just the perfect balance of melodic, but like kind of shreddy in spots. It's just good tune, man. Um, yeah. <laughs> Will Could not agree more. Will has a real funny story that we won't go into full detail about about going to see going to a journey concert with my family a couple of years ago. Yeah. And, it was a great concert. I saw it. Yeah, he went with like my uncle is a huge journey fan. Huge journey fan. So my uncle was there. Um I believe Amanda and Goose went as well, right? They did. Yeah. yeah. My mom might have been. Was my mom there? I don't think your mom was there, okay. but uh, my Brooke cousins were there. Was there? And... Yeah, man. There's a lot of journey love in my family, and and I like. Am I a uh, like a discography front to back fan of Journey? Nah. But do are there plenty of Journey songs that I do enjoy? Absolutely. Absolutely. I grew up with the Greatest Hits album, so I know every song on the Greatest Hits album by heart. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous, but that's just so, the way. I didn't because, realize that's how I was born. I didn't realize what uh, a crazy sort of mix of genres you did. You guys did. I kind of thought you guys stuck to the you know '80s cock rock hair metal type stuff. I didn't realize you'd go from Rob Zombie to Pat Benatar to Journey to Ozzy. That's pretty cool. It's it's one of those things where <clears throat> because. People when they they think of us they think oh they're they're an eighties hair band cover band but we're we're trying to refer to ourselves as an arena rock cover band okay because we we do we do you know a lot of the uh, Limp Biscuit <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> no 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 sir we do we do like a um, uh, bunch of Motley Crue we do a bunch right. of Guns and Roses we do bunch you know we do some Poison. But uh, we also do stuff like people lump this band into that, but they're really not the same. We do some Night Ranger. We do some Hell, ACDC. Yes, Night Ranger. Oh, dude, we open up with um, uh, Don't Tell Me You Love Me. Oh. And then go straight into You Can Still Rock in America. And our shtick is, okay, <laughs> everybody's like, oh, God, not more cover band talk. But most cover bands... It will either do like you're it's a four hour gig and they'll do three 60 minute sets with three 20 minute breaks or something along it bounces out like that we try to do two sets 110 minutes a piece if the Ooh. bar will let us a lot of places oh, wow. are like no man you got to stop playing so those people will come up here and drink but and then the way we do songs is they all hook together we right. never stop playing and so it's almost like listening to a DJ. But we also do medleys of stuff because, man, there's one thing you do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, my God, I yeah, I like this song, but okay, it's four and a half minutes long and I've heard the chorus enough times. So, like, for example, right. we do this Motley Crue medley that starts out with Kickstart My Heart. And uh, there's, like, the one that's before the the bridge section was says started it's bad i was beat it you know it's before that part where it goes baby we stop right there and, and go down a half step right into um uh same old situation and then go from that into dr feel good and then go from that into no i'm sorry 
same old situation is right before girls, 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 because it's he goes all around the world, girls, 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 and then the drum fill that starts girls, girls, girls. So we just keep plowing through it, man. So we do, we'll do like I don't know, forty songs, where a normal band would do maybe twenty five. That's, That's cool. so incredible. It sounds like if I ever had a party, your band is the band that I would want to play. <laughs> that would be incredible. You guys ever played a wedding? Oh, my God. Like, Jesse would be like, you want to have an arena bot rock band player wedding? And I'd be like, uh, it would be yes. such a fucking be... party. Are you kidding me? Oh, dude, we would do it if the price was right. <laughs> dude, I got I'd be drinking my ass off. <laughs> well. All righty then. So you guys want to talk some Star Wars? Sure, man. Like I said, Absolutely. There's, there's not a whole, whole lot going on this week. Um, we were kind of talking before we started recording, and we're starting to see the crazy fallout from all the shenanigans that went on last week with the spinoff rumors and all that stuff. And when I say crazy uh, fallout, I mean now you're getting all the crazy bullshit stories come out where everybody's trying to get a piece of those Star Wars clicks. You know, these this spin-off rumor news is big, so everybody's publishing their articles now, whether it's, you know, unfounded speculation, blah blah blah. So not really much substantial to report on that whole thing since last week. Um they announced this week though something pretty cool that uh they have going on at Star San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, this year is a Clone Wars 10-year anniversary panel. Um, it's still crazy to me to think that it's already been 10 years since the Clone Wars started. Um, did you follow Clone Wars much back in the day when it was airing, Eric? I didn't, actually. I That was at a time where I wasn't watching a lot of TV at all right. at, at that period because I... I was working and playing in bands and like like trying to stay in this real creative mode. So I sort of stopped consuming certain types of media, which just by accident, not purposefully. Right. You know what I mean? And so, no, I wasn't watching it. I mean, I, Clone Wars was one of those things where Will and I definitely went opening night to the anime, like the movie premiere. And I remember leaving being like, oh, I don't know, man. Like, I enjoyed it. I'm definitely not one of those people that came out and was like, that was awful. But I remember thinking, like, I don't know if this is going to be necessarily for me. Like, I'm going to watch it. It's Star Wars. And, you know, we have to remember at this time, back in 2008, that was about the only Star Wars we had on the horizon. There were these nebulous rumors about a live-action show that seemed to be, you know, going around since the end of Revenge of the Sith, but, you know, no real evidence that it was going to happen. And um, they did this weird, I don't know how many people remember, they did this weird release structure with Clone Wars where it was airing on Cartoon Network and TNT at the same time. Like, they ep episodes would air on both, which I, I think they dropped that after the first or second season. And then solely went to uh, Cartoon Network. But one of my favorite things to do with Clone Wars is to sit down and look at how much that series changed from the movie to where it was by the end. And um, as far as 
like tone and production value and stuff, it took crazy leaps over its, you know, five years of being on the air. Um, it makes me wonder, I don't know how likely it is, but it makes me wonder if we'll get any kind of interesting Clone Wars announcement from this panel, or if it will be just sort of a retrospective look back at the series as a whole. Well, is it, uh, I don't, has there been any rumors of them bringing it back? Is that what you're thinking? Or? I, I honestly think that is probably highly unlikely, but, you know, I wouldn't rule out, you know, we got that Dark Disciple book that covered some of the, um, you know, one of the unaired arcs. So maybe they would do something like that where we get another book that is based off of some of the unaired episodes. Um, <clears throat> but if I'm completely honest, I, I definitely don't see like a revival where they're like, we're bringing it back full time. I think that's almost 100% out of the question. And I think, you know, past that, the most they might do, but also seems kind of unlikely is releasing some more episodes that they finished kind of like they did with the lost missions or whatever on Netflix. Right. But honestly, I don't even see that happening. Unfortunately. Yeah. I don't think that's something that would, there's a contingent of people who would think it was great. And therefore in their sphere, they think that would be gangbusters across the entire fandom. But realistically it wouldn't be. I did really enjoy dark disciple. Yeah. And yeah. Excellent. If you guys don't, if you guys don't know, that was uh, Christy Golden wrote that, and she, it was essentially a like a, a Clone Wars script pitch that was just turned into a, a book, and it's really good, man. Quinlan Voss is is a cool character, and I think book format was just the right format for that story. Yeah. Well, and a, another little interesting piece of trivia is I believe those episodes that, you know, would have been, you know, had Clone Wars continued and aired were written by Katie Lucas, George Lucas's daughter, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, like I said, you know, I could see them wanting to do maybe some sort of book or something. Bring in the series back, I don't necessarily think so. We might get... Because they have done in the past where they show animatic versions of some episodes at these panels. They might do something like that where we see some unfinished animation from one of the unfinished arcs. Um, Will, buddy, we'll start with you on this. Do you have a particular favorite Clone Wars moment? I know for me, I have a couple. Um... The one that stands out to me the most is, um, I can't, is it the Mortis arc? Yeah. With the father and daughter and son yeah. of the Force. Like, that stands out as really prominent in my memory. There's also one where Ahsoka tries to foil Cad Bane's robbery of a holocron, maybe? Yeah, I think that's like early on in season two, maybe even the beginning of season two. That's a really good arc for both, sure. Both of those stick out as really good in my memory. What about you, Eric? Do you have a favorite Clone Wars moment? This was really late in the series, but, uh, cause I, I really dig the show. 
honestly, but really late in the series, this was when Ahsoka had been falsely accused of of a crime and she was on the run and she was going to be expelled from the Jedi Order and and imprisoned and then of course they realize at the zero hour that she's innocent and they're asking her to rejoin the Jedi and she's she says she can't not after how it all went down and the way that ended and watching her walk away and how her her fortitude as a character really showed during that I really enjoyed those yeah and it True, yeah. One of the most impressive things I think Clone Wars did as a whole was the evolution of Ahsoka. Because, you know, you start off in the movie and it's all, hey, Snips and Fly Guy and or Sky Guy and R2E and all this. And then by her final arc in Clone Wars, like, like she's such a badass character. Really impressive, in my opinion. Um, yeah. I agree with you I, with that being a highlight. My favorite stuff they did was was more like what Will's saying, where they got to the weird Force stuff, like with Mortis, and then the the Yoda arc that ended Clone Wars. Um, I also thought they did a really good job of giving uh, different personalities and character to the clones, and they did a really good job of sort yeah. of um, showing that yeah, they're all clones of this guy, but they all have their own personalities and they try to have their own individual identities and stuff i thought that was really well done as well yeah i like that too and then the one episode where i can't i don't remember what season it was where basically they found a deserter who was married and had a kid and yeah a farmer i thought that's that's pretty cool man because <laughs> it, it it makes them human that's uh i think that's the episode one of the episodes with colonel meber gascon Voiced by uh, Steven Santon himself. D Squad. Yeah, that's him. Colonel Meeber Gascon. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm interested to see what they do with this panel. I think it's a great idea. Like, I think Clone Wars was really solid, really good, and having some sort of 10 year celebration, even if it's not a huge deal, um, is a great idea. The one thing I wish they would do. Um, and it's really not up to them, but I wish Hot Toys would be like, oh, it's the 10-year anniversary of Clone Wars? Let's do some Clone Wars figures. I think they could knock that shit out of the park. Um, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, man, like an Ahsoka, an Asajj Ventress, uh, old Savage Oppress. Yikes, that name. <laughs> um, you know, pre or not Pre-Vizsla. Pre-Vizsla? Is that it? Pre-Vizsla? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre Vizsla, a lot of cool characters that they could do, um, well, however likely it is or not. And then you know, Battlefront has their Clone Wars update coming um, in a couple of months, so it's nice to see Clone Wars getting uh, a little love on its um, ten year anniversary. So I think that's cool. Um, so what else? What else? See, the, the Eric and I were texting, right? earlier this week and I was just touching base with him about what time we record and all this and he said hey if you have any notes just shoot them my way and like, I was like buddy you, you've listened to the show we don't do notes <laughs> notes 
<laughs> if there were notes, it would literally go Star Wars. Halls hits a pothole and talks about Ride the Lightning for 15 minutes. Uh, Halls <laughs> forgets what the next topic is. A uh, Kia D song, King Tom voicemail. Like that's what the vo- the notes would look like. And 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 we are at that regularly scheduled time where I'm like, oh, what else were we gonna talk about? Um, oh, uh, think think. I know. Um, so you know, last year we got the news that the Amy Henning led Star Wars game that was being produced by Visceral Studios under EA was canceled and uh, was being shuffled around and restructured into something pretty different. Uh, And one of the big questions after that was, is Amy Henning still working on Star Wars? Is she still working with EA, et cetera, et cetera? Well, it came out this week in an interview with Amy Henning that she is no longer working with EA. She's actually in the process of putting together like a small independent game studio And in the interview, she even says that the story they were working on for that game has been shelved. Mm. Now, to that, to me, that makes it sound like the story elements, which if you guys are interested in hearing what that story would have been about, check out makingstarwars.net. Jason broke some incredible stuff about what that game was going to be focused on story-wise. It sounds like whenever they do finish restructuring this game, into something else and release it. At least from what she said, it sounds like those story elements are not going to be part of it. Um, And ultimately, I think it's kind of a shame because A, the story was cool, and Amy Henning is a very talented lady when it comes to video games. Uh, For those that don't know, she was highly involved in the Uncharted games, which are incredible. So I would have really liked to see her take on Star Wars, but... Yeah, oh, of course. Um, Eric, what's the last Star Wars video game you played? I know you're not a big video game guy. You're too busy developing those cal- calluses on your hammer-on fingers. <laughs> Man, that's a... <laughs> the last one that I was like super into was the original Dark Forces game on PC. Oh, I played that not that long ago. I've played that game sometime this year. It's the one that's basically like Doom. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I was actually um, working on some stuff that I, I kind of put aside for a little while. I was working on maybe doing some stuff with the Blue Harvest YouTube page where I would review and play different Star Wars games. And in the process of um, <clears throat> doing research for Dark Forces, it's interesting to see... It was Well, it was to see some of the gameplay innovations that were in that game that weren't present in those first-person shooters before. Like, I think one of them was the ability to free aim around anywhere, at least within that sort of Doom, Wolfenstein-type engine. Um, Right. Old Kyle Katarn. Wow. Come on, guys. You're coming up with a new hero for Star Wars, and you give him the name Kyle? Which I ain't got a problem with the name Kyle, but it's so nineties. It's so nineties. Is Kyle really a Star Wars name? I don't know. He was a rad dude. He was a rad dude. <laughs> <laughs> he was. A rad. And if you guys want to see some silly ass shit, go to YouTube and look up the cutscenes from Dark Forces Two. Dark Forces One, you know, didn't have 
they had cutscenes, but it was very text-based and actually had some really beautiful sort of sprite-based animations of Darth Vader and Mon Mothma and stuff. But for Dark Forces 2, they were like, let's do full motion video scenes. So, like, they got real actors. It's very 90s. Go and watch that. Go and watch that and then realize that there's people out there that think that, that right there, is better Star Wars canon than what we're getting today. And and, and just let that soak in for a little bit. (laughs) Let that soak in. That the Dark Force is the original one with Boba Fett as the big bad at the end. You know what that reminded me of is the Terminator. Right. Because it was just relentless and like scary as could be. Because it, you just didn't you couldn't get away from him and he, he wasn't gonna rest until you were dead. And it's like this reflects my real life quite a bit more than I'd like to admit. Yeah, well, I can't get away from Boba Fett in a different way. He lovingly haunts my dreams. I just can't get away from I can't quit you, Boba. I like to think your relationship with Boba Fett is like the one on Robot Chicken. The, uh... Do you know what I'm talking about? The goofy Boba Fett? Yeah, yeah, I know what you... You think that's how I view Boba Fett? Is, oh, hey, what's up? I can't... That's how I think he haunts your dreams. Oh, No. Looking for a kiss from the big bad Boba. No, it, Come here. most of my, I have a reoccurring Boba Fett dream where I get a knock on the door, knock, 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 and I go answer and it's Boba Fett all resplendent in his Mandalorian regalia. And I'm like, oh, it's Boba Fett. And he is like, hey, I just wanted to stop by and tell you that uh, you're never getting that Boba Fett movie. Peace out. And he runs away. <laughs> Doesn't jump Was in he a ship, on- he runs. Is he on that horse? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. No, he's not even that majestic. He just runs away. Just runs. Full speed. So, last night, I did... Uh, I'm, I'm a member of the 501st. I'm a, a original trilogy, TK, Stormtrooper. And we were at this place in St. Louis called the Magic House, which is really cool. If you guys are... If anybody with kids is ever in St. Louis, the Magic House is definitely like a must-visit. It's one of these places. It's sort of like a children's museum slash trick you into learning sort of thing but it's wow. it's it's just super cool man it's it's an actual house that has been added on to and it's like they there for example there was a staircase that they found that went to nowhere just over the years as it was as it was remodeled and stuff they just closed it off and they do a lot of cool stuff there but it was their star wars night and there was this okay there was this little boy who man if i were gonna guess i'd say he's probably maybe like seven or eight and uh, he had sort of like your Ruby's Boba Fett costume, but I don't think he, I don't, I never saw him with the helmet, but he came up to me and he was asking me all these questions about Boba Fett. And he said something that blew my mind. He said, was Boba Fett Mandalorian or was it just the armor? And I was like, dang kid. Dang dude. <laughs> that is a great question. So from what I understand, <laughs> And, and this is one of those things that like I get a little confused on, but from what I understand as established in the Clone Wars, he, he is not considered actually Mandalorian. It is just the armor. 
And that's what I thought so, too. Yeah, and uh, Sal, actually, we were talking about this on an episode one time, and our buddy Sal Perales texted me the uh, the next day and, like, laid that shit down for me and was like, no, nah, this is why, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, cool. And then something in my head was like, you know Boba Fett's a Mandalorian. Don't listen to Sal. And I'm like, no, but but Sal's the dude, man. He he, uh, Sal's the man. <laughs> no, don't listen to him. Boba Fett's a Mandalorian. So, but from what I understand, the, uh, the, the official stance is that Django wasn't a Mandalorian. He just had the Mandalorian armor. Therefore, Boba Fett's not a Mandalorian. I believe that's how it goes. And Django <laughs> Fett's armor becomes Boba Fett's armor, right? I don't, once again... Boba Fett doesn't get a separate set of Mandalorian armor. Once again, I'm not quite sure about that because I think it must be a... I think it might be a different set because if you look, he at least doesn't get all of it because Django has armor. I know they're different. I just assumed that those were the pieces that came from... Yeah. I think maybe even Django's head gets... Like, not his head, his helmet gets blown up in an episode of Clone Wars... Like, they use it as a trap. Boba sets a bomb in it or something. I might be wrong about that. That Hmm. sounds really familiar, though. It's where they lure the Jedi to this place because he's trying to kill Mace Windu. And the helmet's sitting there like, what's that? Right. I think you're right. Right, right. Um, all right, Eric, you want to help me out here, Mister? Uh, do we got notes? Am I missing anything before we move on to the emails and voice messages? Uh, let's see. There was a little bit about so Ryan Johnson, Ram Bergman, who's oh, worked with yes. Ryan Johnson as a producer on basically every one of his films, has officially been hired for this upcoming trilogy of his, which is pretty cool, man. Because if you see their relationship relationship in the documentary the director and the jedi it's it's like he knows how to keep ryan johnson in the in the space the headspace where he works well and like he very much understood the role of producer where i mean obviously it's a documentary they're showing you what they want to show you but it, he was like he wasn't trying to make it about him. He wasn't strong arming it. He was just facilitating it all happening, and I, so I think that's really good news to to see that. And so they're saying, you know, that it's a couple of years away. Of course, we kind of suspected that already. Now, okay, yeah, he said they asked him like, "How's the whole?" And he said, "You know, it's very early." And they were like, "Well, when can we expect it?" And he said. I don't know, maybe in a couple of years. I am not, I'm paraphrasing this. So, you know, that's actually an article that seems to have sort of come back up recently. I kind of feel like I read it maybe a couple weeks ago, maybe even before the whole spinoff put on hold cancellation hubbub. Hubbub. Um, This is the thing. If they're saying it could come out in maybe a couple of years then, you know, there's the possibility that maybe that's our 2020 Star Wars movie. We've been wondering if we would actually get one with all this restructuring. The issue issue I have with that, though, is unless he's way further along in the writing process than I imagine he is, 
is that enough time for them to get we're talking about a movie that would at the latest need to be shooting probably around this time next year right right yeah i'd say that's fair and is that enough time you know we're not talking about a situation where with the last jedi where to be fair a lot of the iconography and ships and and characters and stuff are already established you know we're talking he, from what they've said this is a brand new story featuring all new characters in a unseen part of the galaxy right is that enough time to take on that sounds like a massive undertaking to me you know yeah it does me too so so who knows so maybe you're paraphrasing of i don't know couple years maybe is right. probably pretty accurate <laughs> right i don't know that like he was saying it just like that i don't like for the the sake of that movie do you want to rush that that much and i understand like if they really want uh a star wars movie out in 2020 then they essentially need to shit or get off the pot as far as getting one into production but I don't know that an all-new trilogy, all-new characters, and an all-new place, you know, is the right time to try and rush one, you know? Well, exactly. And here's the deal. I Having this 18-month gap, well, slightly more than that, before the next movie, you're, it's the longest we've had to wait, obviously, for a Star Wars movie since right. the, the, the Force Awakens came out. But before that... Well, before that, we went a really long time, <laughs> but but even before then, you know, two and three years between films is just the norm. And I right. think if you you have a property like Star Wars, you really got to figure if you they need to they need to have it making money for them just the way their company works. So do they need to have a movie coming out every year? I don't know. It's I don't know how to, what they're what their business model looks like but for if you're wanting star wars movies to continue to be like this groundbreaking event where you've got you know the pre-sales selling out in 20 minutes and the first two weeks of the thing is just slammed with people then you're probably going to have to have a have them fewer and further between and <sighs> I, I i would want them to just whatever the amount of time it takes for them to make the movie they think they need to make to make the movie the way they, he thinks he needs to make it. Yeah, I agree. I want them to give Ryan all the time he needs. Like I don't want, especially like we've, you know, I've been saying over and over with the amount of work and everything they're going to, cause you know, it's not just taking X-Wings and TIE fighters. Like you got to imagine new planets, new ships, new aliens, new, you know, it's a lot of work that would go into that, I would imagine. And um, to me, it just seems doubtful. Like when I hear, oh, the Ryan trilogy's first movie is going to be in 2020. I don't see how that works, man. You're talking two years after, well, three years. Three years after his last Star Wars movie. Um, which when you think about that, maybe that's not, I don't know, man. I it's don't know. Star Wars, it's a property with the ability to do it. It is. It's just, you know, and this could be will they, my... Will they just take their time now? Yeah. Oh, no, man. They, they've, they, 
they did this once a year thing, and now I'm fucking spoiled. So now I want a Star Wars <laughs> every year. You know what I'm saying? When back in the day, once every three years didn't bother me. Like, I, I got impatient, you know, a couple years into the wait for the new prequel movies. But, no, man, I've been getting once a year. I want one a year. But the end of the day, whatever is best for it. Like, whatever works the best from a business standpoint and a box yeah. office standpoint, then that's what they got to do. I want them to be successful. Yeah, me too. Whatever, whatever we have to do for them to be successful. I'm tired of star Wars ridicule. Like oh, I've had enough prequel too, ridicule and I've had enough of the casual star Wars. Looky loos, not even really fans being like, Oh, what's going to happen to Star Wars now? Maybe we're going to go back to the prequels where it gets ridiculous and awful. Like, just shut up. Shut up. (laughs) Just go be a negative Nancy somewhere else because Disney won't let that happen no matter what. Well, I think what you're seeing now with a lot of this crazy Star Wars whining and moaning and stuff is people that aren't even and this is just my personal opinion, aren't even that invested in Star Wars, A, either trying to use Star Wars as their platform to get some fucked up opinion or personal belief across. So they're like, oh, people are upset about Star Wars. Let me latch on to that to get some fucked up view about how there's this forced diversity thing or too many ladies or whatever the fuck they're trying to get across, right? I think you're seeing right. a lot of that. I think you're seeing a lot of that specifically in, in like YouTube and Star Wars YouTube. There are some fucked up people making Star Wars YouTube con- content. And and like it doesn't take a genius to try to figure out what they're trying to do. The disappointing thing is to see people fall for it and get roped in. And be like, yeah, I agree with this. And people that I would normally think were like, like uh, you know, well-rounded normal people are like, somehow getting roped into the mentally ill fucking hate train that's going on. I don't know, man. I don't want to get started on this. It literally gives me anxiety. Um, yeah, I've, I'm at a spot right now, man, where I, I've, I've, we've talked about it at length on the bad motivators and on the Sith list where I, it's to the point where social media, especially like star Wars, Twitter and stuff is, I'm a want to avoid it just because it's it makes me mad and then I find myself being mad about being mad and then mm-hmm. it's like and it, it, it does the word that comes to mind for me it is there like it, there's it feels poisonous like it's poisonous to your psyche without a yeah, doubt I agree Eric had like I Eric, didn't mean to cut you off Eric <laughs> oh no you're fine Eric had a tweet this morning where I was like damn did someone just read my mind he was like, I woke up this morning and I had a dream. I had a nightmare that nobody was being assholes on Twitter anymore. Well, I'm. What was it, Eric? You're gonna do it better. You wrote it. <laughs> yeah, I put. I said, I had a nightmare last night that I was scrolling through my Twitter feed and nobody was being an asshole. I woke <laughs> up screaming. I'm so glad it was just a dream. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. So, uh, before we go on to voicemails and emails, we have one little piece of news that's not necessarily directly Star Wars related, but, you know, Star Wars adjacent. Rumors broke over the last couple of days that the writer for the fifth Indiana Jones movie has been replaced. 
and I can't recall who John Nepp, David Nepp, I can't remember. Either way, it was the guy, one of the writers on Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And they're saying he's been replaced with John Kasdan, Larry Kasdan, Lawrence Kasdan's son, who was one of the writers on Solo. Uh, and I, I don't know about you guys, but I think that's pretty fucking cool. He did a good job tackling Han Solo, so I'd like to see what he does with Indiana Jones. Yeah, that would be cool. Especially, I don't know if Indiana Jones 5 is setting up anything for another Indiana Jones, or if it's, you know, I don't know how it's going to go, but... The fact that it doesn't have—I don't think it's a prequel, um, kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, right? No, no, it's no. Still I, old Indiana Jones. Yeah. So you just pick up the story and go. Like you don't really have to weave this intricate tale of his origin. You know, I feel like. Yeah. No. Well, I, again, uh, there's not much at stake, I guess. What makes me want so also included in this story is that. With this, with him being brought on as the writer, it might push the release date back. And if I'm not mistaken, the planned release date for Indiana Jones 5 was like July 2020. So this is where I start wondering if it's getting pushed back or is it getting pushed back to December 2020? And if that's the case, are we really going to get Indiana Jones instead of Star Wars that year? I'm starting to wonder if that's more and more likely and more and more possible. Um, they can't push that shit back too far though because love him to death but you got limited time with Harrison Ford playing that Indiana role Indiana Jones is a Lucasfilm property right? yes is Willow a Lucasfilm property? yes really? yes interesting I believe Labyrinth is as well didn't George Lucas have something to do with Labyrinth? I don't know I don't know either all right, so you guys want to do some uh, emails and voice messages before we call it a night? Sure, sure. man. Cockhead, the only Jedi master who can crash box. Cockhead, running around slaying bitches with his cockhead. He's a big Syrian stud. He loves to split chicks with his pud. Kitty, cockhead, to stroke his cone and suck on his balls. Kitty, cockhead, what you gonna do when he comes on you now? He's a Jedi Council stooge, but he'll be plumping spooge tomorrow. Cockhead, Ruhurt, cockhead, Hansberger, cockhead, Will Witt, cockhead. Alrighty, well, we got a voicemail up first. We got two voicemails this evening. And uh, this first one is the return of a the rapscallion we haven't heard from in quite a while. Uh, I haven't oh, heard this, this yet. Band, it sure is. He's back. Oh my goodness. Hello, it's the Source Banding, and I'm back. Now, boys and girls, I've been away for a little while. On my holidays, you know what it's like, catching some rays, working on my tan, 
taking it easy. You'll never guess who I bump into while I'm away. None other than old firm Scissor Punch. Now firm's an old acquaintance of mine. He runs in a crew called the Merc Squads. They're a ragtag bunch of scoundrels and halfwits. But if you want someone to cause a bit of a ruckus, they ain't too bad to call on. Firm, on the other hand, though, he can be a little bit snappy when he wants to be, but he ain't a bad fella to have around in a pinch, if you get what I mean. I came across him at the tables in the Canto by Casino. Now, Firm likes to talk a good game, but the bottom line is, boys and girls, he's a terrible card player. He's the type of guy that'll be holding one pair and go all in. Needless to say, when I came across him, he was down on his luck, and it ain't the first time either. He turns to me and says, Soz, you've been in a few tight spots. What would you do, son? Whatever happened to you when the Jedi Temple fell? Uh-oh. I love when he goes musical. First, I was afraid, I was petrified. Everything oh I can never live without you by my side. Oh. When I spent so many nights thinking how you did me wrong, and I grew strong. I learned how to carry on, and so you're back from outer space. I just walked in to find you here with that sad look upon your face. I should have changed my stupid love, I should have made you leave your key. If I'd have known for just one second, you'd be back to bother me. Oh, now no, go. Walk out the door. Just turn around now. Cause you're not welcome anymore. Weren't you the one who tried to hurt me with goodbye? You think I'd crumble? You think I'd lay down and die? Oh, no, not I. I will survive. Oh, as long as I know how to love, I know I will alive. I've got all my life to live. I've got all my love to give. And I'll survive. I will survive. Hey, hey. All right, boys and girls. I'll leave you to it. So are you a bunch of mugs. Wow. I got to say, uh, Eric, <laughs> buddy, um, you might want to fire your vocalist. I think we got a replacement. And, I mean, Soars, oh, heading up. That was uh, really good. Throw the horns. Come on, man. And, and what a pro, man, like saying goodbye during the, the interlude, the musical interlude there. Right. That's class. He definitely knows what he's doing. Oh, man, I'm telling you. When I, I I can't explain my excitement when I heard that he was about to get musical. I love when that dude gets musical. <laughs> I don't think we've heard from Sewer since the holiday special. No, almost seven months since we've heard from that dude. Nice to have you back, buddy. All right, next up we've got a voicemail from Nostra Thomas, King Tom, the King of all Toms. Let's hear what he has to say. Hey, Hawes and Will and Eric Struthers. Hey, King, King Tom. Tom. 
So I've been doing some Rebels rewatching, not the whole series, just you know, cherry picking some episodes here and there. And something that surprised me is that since the end of season three or whatever it was that he was featured, I completely and totally forgot about the the character of the Bendu. When we first saw him, you know, he, he was we saw this cool looking character. Was, I'm there's the light in the dark, and I'm the one in the middle. And he was voiced by Tom Baker, one of the great uh, actors to play Doctor Who. I was psyched about Who? this character, and and I thought he did some really cool things with training Kanan, or, or you know, setting him down a path, and the the way he was talking smack to Thrawn, even as you know he was being destroyed. But I kind of felt overall that. The, the, they, they might have wasted him or something, or maybe it looked like to me like they were building him up to be bigger than he is. And I don't know why that was, just because they were going off more in the character of, you know, you, you pursuing the character of Maul, or maybe they realized that, hey, we can't get a giant pine cone from planet to planet. Anyway, looking back on the series, you know, we, we've done a lot of looking back on Rebels over the past year, but what do you think of how they use the Bendu. And and also another question I wanted to ask, you know, I really like how under the new Star Wars direction the last five years they've explored force users to be more than Jedi or Sith. And here's one to combine both the light and the dark. And I think that's a great idea and I hope to see more of that. But do you think that that's something that can be done in the future or do they risk having someone like the Bendu who's just so out there and so powerful that it's not worth doing. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? So what do you guys think about how they use the Bendu? And is it possible to have an interesting, usable character who can straddle both light and dark? These are just some questions that have been on my mind and I'd like your guys' input on. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I will talk to you guys later. And Eric, uh, keep on rocking in the free world. Oh, nice. Um, Eric, buddy, what's your thoughts on the Bendu? What's your thoughts on what King Tom had to say in general? Well, I agree that the character was really cool because he was neither good nor bad, in, but he wasn't exactly neutral either. He just was who he was. and But he wasn't, you couldn't move him around. He was gigantic. Where do you where do you go? What he was you sort of got locked into what they did with him. There was practically nothing else you could do unless he could, you know, teleport, basically, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. So it it kinda kinda got lost really fast. I don't know what else they could have done with him. And so at the in the end the notion of the character was neat, but the payoff of the character didn't really seem to do much. Right. Well, uh, did you, I know you aren't like completely caught up on rebels. Did you see much of the stuff with the Bindu? I'm from, yeah, I watched the Bindu episode specifically because he was in it. Like I needed to see that. It was interesting. Like the, it was interesting. Um, Um, but I am with King Tom where it seems like they didn't do a whole lot with him. Well, it seemed like, okay, I'm going to the other spectrum of the perfectly neutral Jedi, right? Which I believe is what is hinted at in The Last Jedi, the prime Jedi. Someone who is truly in perfect balance with the light side and the dark side. Now, the Bindu kind of seems like the abstinence neutral Jedi, like... 
you know, not not to choose a side. Like true neutrality is not to act, to let the will of the universe happen as is. And that's kind of what I felt like the Bindu was. Yeah. And the Prime Jedi, I don't know because I've never seen one, but you know, I would assume the Prime Jedi is the most powerful Jedi in existence. Because it would seem to me that if you were in perfect harmony with both the light side and the dark side, you, you know, you would know exactly... Uh, almost omnipotence. Like, you would know exactly how much force to use... You know, it wouldn't be aggressive or attacking. Like, it would just right the situation. Like, it would just do what you needed to do. And then the Bindu, you know, doesn't act. Right. Like, true neutral, I guess. Yeah. Like, the difference between true neutral and lawful neutral. Like, I, I don't know. It, it, it's really complicated. I love when Will... And one of my favorite things, and I, I mean this 100%, is when Will brings in D&D &D terminology to explain something. That, that right. was pretty sweet, man. <laughs> I can't um, help it. Oh, no. Once again, do it all. I, I love it. Um, the Bindu is definitely one of those things that when we first started hearing about it beforehand and stuff like that, I was really interested in. And then kind of like King Tom said, like, it's one of those elements of rebels that when I think back on doesn't really come up in my mind, which in my opinion means they didn't really do much with him that I personally at least found very interesting. Uh, I liked the design that he was like this giant fucking moose mm -hmm. voice acting was cool. But at the end of the day, I don't know that it added much. I understand why he was there. You needed someone to guide Essentially, you needed someone to put Kanan back on the path after he loses his eyesight in season two, at the end of season two. So I understand his purpose, but other than that, I don't really think they did a whole lot with him. Yeah. So we've got a email from our buddy James. Hawes and Will. I'm growing tired of the cacophony of Star Wars fan sites, podcasts, bloggers, etc. making excuses for the subpar reviews and box office numbers for Solo. Obviously, we knew that every m movie wasn't going to be great and have huge box office numbers. Honestly, though, I'm having a hard time figuring out what Lucasfilm did right with the execution of this movie minus meeting the release date. Every fan-fueled excuse is a self-inflicted wound by Lucasfilm. They chose to have such a short window between The Last Jedi and Solo. They chose Miller and Lord to product direct it. They chose to make it a big-budget movie, chock-full of special effects and grandiose scenes, thus requiring box office performance. They chose to postpone marketing until the movie was nearly a month away from release. They chose to release it in close proximity to Infinity War and Deadpool. And last of all, they released a movie which was, in the opinion of many, just okay. My own anecdotes don't speak for the masses, but my very large group of Star Wars friends are all, at best, ambivalent about the latest movie. This is the first release which I have seen less than three times in the first week. In fact, I've only seen it once and don't plan on seeing it again. I'll save a technical cr critique of the movie for a later date. As a Disney shareholder and an avid Star Wars fan, I am thoroughly disappointed in Solo, but I am hopeful that this will push Lucasfilm to up their game with future releases. Losing money on a big opportunity like this is going to have repercussions for shareholders down to Bob Iger and Kathleen Kennedy. 
I feel like this is the perfect amount of failure to force positive change without sacrificing the franchise or people's jobs. Star Wars isn't going away, but maybe just maybe a swift kick in the ass on the eve of new movies and TV series is a good thing. Keep on moisture farming, boys, Jim and Pittsburgh. Yeah, I mean, personally, I really liked Solo. Um, You know, it's not my favorite of the Disney era. It's not my favorite overall Star Wars movie, but I had a lot of fun with it. Um, And I think it's performance and stuff, you know, there's no way you just take that kind of a hit and keep on going like nothing happened. So I, I do think there will be some things that change. And honestly, like we've had this email for a little bit now. And I think, you know, the news and the rumors we've been hearing after over the past couple of weeks is highly indicative, indi- highly indicates that changes are afoot and things are afoot as far as restructuring and figuring out how they move forward. Um, but, you know, right now, the only thing we can do is sit back and see what happens. You know, Lucasfilm keeps a tight lit lip on this type of information. So, you know, we're not going to get a whole lot of it from official sources. So it's not like if they did cancel an Obi-Wan movie and a, a Fett movie that they never announced. They're not going to come out and say, so we never announced it, but we are going to do these two movies. And nah, now we're not. You know, that's not how they operate. Uh, what do you think, Will? I I don't have the problem with solo that Jim that Jim does. Um, I see that, like I get what he's saying. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun to me. Having said that, he does have some points there in the beginning that it you know they did they chose to market it the way it did. They chose to release it closer to Last Jedi. You know it had to be big budget. You know it and then now that I'm thinking about it, it didn't have to be all those things. Like they could have done whatever they wanted. You know and. Uh, it does make you wonder what Disney was thinking. And obviously they've taken time to shelve it and rethink a new approach in general. So obviously they know what's going on. You know, they're thick They're They're jumping on or analyzing what the issue was, but it does make you wonder what they were, you know, what, what exactly they, they thought the outcome would be and how it would go. And the Lord and Miller, you know, again, like it makes you, well, I wonder what they were thinking, you know, it doesn't disappoint me. Like solo was really good. I, I like I said, I don't have that feeling about it. But it it does. Those points he raised are valid. You know, they are. It does make me wonder what Disney was thinking. Yeah, the the thing that really sucks about Solo's performance is, you know, I'm pretty sure had they not had to spend so much money on reshoots and hiring Ron Howard and stuff, that it, like would it have lit the box office? Like had it, you know, performed the same? Would it lit the world on fire? No, but I don't think it would have been, you know... Such a hit. Right. Right. Uh, what do you think, Eric? I think that, you know, I the part about how the podcast and stuff with the fan-generated excuses, I feel like I'm probably guilty of that. But for me, it's in a situation where I'm trying to figure out, you know, the poor performance of the movie I don't think is particularly related to the the excellence of the movie. The movie itself is pretty good, and so to have it do what it did, it's like I'm more of trying to figure out why. And one thing I can say that for me that I found myself wondering is, is this is the first movie, like I've only seen it, I've seen it five times. And for me to have only seen a Star Wars movie that's been in the theater this long five times is 
kind of out of hand. <laughs> and But a lot of it, it's not because of a lack of desire. It's the timing. And so that's what leads me to speculate. If this is affecting me like this, is that surely I can't be the only one. Right. I'm just using my own experience as a guide. But I do think that, yeah, I had the, there's so many layers to this, like peeling the onion back. If they, if they hadn't had to reshoot so much of the movie and the production costs would have been lower, well, that also opens the door to the fact that you wouldn't have had the negative backlash to, that came about from them mm -hmm. having to reshoot lots of the movie and the reasonings behind that. And so it's just this cascading thing that I'm not sure where the problem lies short of better planning obviously is needed. And this is one of those things, man, that you're just, they've, they've got to find their way. This whole adventure of new star Wars movies is realistically only four years old. Right. They just haven't figured out the formula yet. And it's obvious. Right. And, and they, it's all, they did for yeah. Marvel. It took them a while too. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. It, because it's all exciting when it's new you're like, oh, man, we're going to get these guys. They're effing hilarious, and we're going to make this great movie. And then they're faced with the realities of it. It's, you know what it's like? It's like, <laughs> it's like when you, you, you see that girl at the bar, and you're like, yeah, man, she's fun. She's pretty wild. I want to go out with her, right? And so you do. And then you realize that she acts the same way when you take her to like your parents for dinner. And you're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure this is as cool as I thought it was. And that's that's kind of what I think probably happened with, with Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They're like, those dudes are hilarious. But now right. we're over at my parents' house, and she's standing on a chair shaking her ass. Get down from there, Phil Lord and Chris Miller. You're embarrassing <laughs> me in front of my mom. Oh, man. Yeah, they're like let's see the let's see the footage you shot this week. And they were like, what, did you do the things on the script? And they were like, script? Ah, we don't really follow a script per se <laughs> yeah we just kind of got donald glover and alden aaron right kind of shooting shit back and forth at each other i think at the end of the day there's no one thing that led to solo's performance i think it's a the, it's the perfect the one, storm of bad shit you know what i mean the one question i have is um is there really a movement of fans that had such a problem with the last jedi that they boycotted solo i mean is that a real thing, and do you think that had an effect at all? I would think, and I mean, this could be personal bias or just hope or whatever, that it it might have been an element, but perhaps the smallest element. Because That's to a me, very negligible element. Because to me, that doesn't make sense with the box office performance of The Last Jedi. You know? Like... If they got so mad by The Last Jedi, then how did The Last Jedi do so well at the box office? Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Um, um, kind of. So what I'm saying is, okay, these same people... You had to pay it to go see it to be pissed off about it. Right, right, that's true. But I also don't think Last Jedi numbers are going to see it once numbers. You know what I mean? You don't get $1.3 billion at the box office without some repeat view viewing in there. Same thing like you don't right. cross two billion like The Force Awakens did without people going to see it multiple times, right? Right. 
Well, and that's something that we talked about. Jason Ward was on this past week's The Bad Motivators, and we were, you know, we said that the the super fans, the ones like us doing podcasts and doing all this stuff, we're not the ones who made the Last Jedi make one point three billion dollars. Right, yeah, right. And but we are probably the ones that made so Solo make two hundred million dollars. And you have to wonder what caused that gap. And obviously you need Joe moviegoer on your side if you want to turn in these massive numbers. The quote-unquote true fans and the ones going out of the way to boycott this thing, they're not the ones that made that much of a dent. It's They're foolish if they really believe their numbers. And, and, and I don't think that the average person is that aware of this group and they're also boycotting the movie for solidarity purposes. Something that, and that to me, this was really telling is okay. So I, I work with this lady who she's, she's a little bit younger than me. So she's probably like mid thirties, upper thirties, married three kids, two of whom are prime star Wars age. Okay. Whenever I mentioned the Han Solo movie, at one point, she had zero idea what I was talking about. None. And it's not like she lives in a cave. Right. But she had no idea what I was talking about. And it's true. Dude, that like spoke volumes to me because here's your prime target. This is the person that you need to get that movie in their heads. And she, nary a clue. Yeah. I'll be honest, you know, and just. Thinking back, not a lot of marketing on the kids' channels around the time. Like, in not general. a lot of, yeah, not a lot so, of, you know. I, you know, I've I flipped through the Disney Channel, Cartoon Network, right? You know, all the just to see, and not a lot of, not a lot of solo. I remember not a lot of solo advertisements. So, I mean, there were some in there, but it wasn't. You know, a lot of um. This is just personal, like, circumstantial evidence, but I watch a lot of YouTube. And the past three years, I saw a lot of TV spots on YouTube for Force Awakens, Rogue One, The Last Jedi, like a lot. And it would be that time of year where, you know, every video I watch on YouTube starts with a Star Wars ad and I get all hyped. I didn't see a single Star Wars TV spot before a a video on YouTube. Solo, the one there's one with it's a for it's a car commercial, like the assisted drive where I still haven't she, seen that. She drives to the semi trucks and it cuts to the scene with L three being like, "Calm down, big guy," and then she says the same thing to her little tiny dog in the back. <laughs> you know, like um, but that's a car. Okay, children aren't buying cars. Right, children are not interested in car commercials, and they're not like, "Oh, hey, there was Chewbacca for like half a second in that car commercial." And you know. There's been a lot of articles and stuff on the box office performance of Solo. And I'm not talking articles from people still whining about The Last Jedi and saying they're boycotting it or going to remake it or whatever. Talking about Times and Forbes. Yeah, people that actually know their financial shit. And it seems to be, in those articles, they mainly blame it on the marketing. So, in my opinion, when you have, like, reliable people, reliable writers, reliable, like financial sources like that saying the biggest problem was the marketing i'm sorry i'm gonna take that over some 
mad guy on Twitter that's still whining about The Last Jedi. Personally. Personally. That's how I'm going to take it. So, ooh, excuse me. Why don't we do one more email before we call it a night? This one is from our buddy, Eddie F. Hi, Halls and Will. Glad to hear you liked your time here in California. I saw on Twitter that Halls had a good experience at In-N-Out too. Just curious, what's an In-N-Out equivalent for the East Coast, or better yet, in Alabama, should I ever find myself out there? Just wondering. Uh, okay, so before we move on, I would say either Milo's, which is very centric to Alabama, or Steak and Shake. which Hamburger is, Heaven. Oh, Hamburger Heaven, also good. Or maybe even Dairy Queen. If you don't have a DQ out I th- there, I think they had. I think I saw a Dairy Queen out there. I thought Dairy Queens were South Pacific. It's. I mean, it, I don't know. It could not. Anyways, down to the Star Wars stuff. I'm kind of worried due to its box office performance that we won't get more of a great story that Solo set up. <laughs> in all honesty, it's the box office performance for a movie in general is fine, but not for a Star Wars film. And since they had to reshoot most of the film, I think Disney's still in the red on the movie. I'm so sad that the fandom has is so has split so extreme now, too. Or maybe it's always been that way and I never noticed till now. I just find it sad that people feel the need to try and bring you down if you like Star Wars now. And apparently the Ewok curve is no longer the split for fandom. It's now the Disney era, which is sad. Just really hoping the hate doesn't halt the other Star Wars movies in production or push back the Boba Fett movie. Oh, man. I've been wanting a Boba Fett story arc for what feels like forever now. I wanted him to show up in Rebels, but I'm more stoked his story continues in a movie, and I'm actually hoping it's after Return of the Jedi, so it's canon that he's still alive and not just up for interpretation with the Aftermath book. Speaking of Boba Fett, did you guys catch the Mandalorian armor in Dryden's chamber? It's the same color scheme that's in Clone Wars when Maul is the leader of Death Watch. I just thought it was a cool reference. Makes that Darth Maul reveal seem more natural and justified, if that makes sense. Just wanted to point that out if you guys weren't aware of it. Last thing and then I'm done. Two weeks ago I asked you guys about the Star Wars live action show and my concerns with it being so close to Return of the Jedi. You kind of put me at ease with your comments about it and when you asked if I would be okay with them recasting Luke, Han, Leia, or Han, I actually thought about it a lot. Then after seeing Solo and seeing someone else play Lando and Han, I think I'm way more open to them being recast should it be needed. Of course, if they stay away from them, I'm fine with that too because I think because of Solo... I think I'm totally okay with it now. I've seen the running gag online with Sebastian Shaw, a.k.a. Bucky Barnes, looking a lot like Mark Hamill from the original trilogy days. And if a Luke cameo story arc is needed for the show, I would totally love for him to play Luke. If you guys could pick someone to play Luke, Leia, and Han for cameos in the live-action TV shows, who would you guys pick? Since Donald Glover already played Lando and Solo... We'll make up with makeup or digital effects. I say they should let him play him again for the live action show too, to make him look like an older Billy D. Williams. I mean, he sounded like a lot. He already sounded a lot like him in the movie. Also, just want to see more of his take on Lando if he is needed, of course. Thanks again for your awesome podcast, guys. Sorry for the long email this time. Next one won't be so long. Your fellow moisture farmer, Eddie F. <clears throat> well. 
Well, 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 Eddie, buddy. Um, you clearly sent that email before last week's news. <laughs> and I'm real sorry, dude. You know I want that Boba Fett movie, too. But we shouldn't lose hope just yet. Just yet. Um, Eric, who would you, if you know this live-action TV show from Jon Favreau rolls around and there's an opportunity for Luke, Leia, or Han to appear, do you have any ideas of who you would re- recast them with? Well, I think if it's Han, you just about have to have it be Alden Ehrenreich. I agree. Be- you can't you can't recast them twice, especially not in th- this span of time. And you know, I realize that from that period where of the movie we just saw to where this thing takes place, you know, it's a solid ten years of time, but. It it would be too jarring otherwise. You yeah. You won't be able to maintain. You won't be able to continue to convince people that Alden Ehrenreich is Han Solo if some other dude is playing Han Solo. Well, this close to him. And personally, I didn't really think uh, Alden Ehrenreich looked all that much younger. You know, I still bought that he was Solo, but I wasn't like, oh yeah, he looks like a much younger, you know, fifteen years younger than he is in A New Hope or whatever, right? Han Solo, right. I mean, Harrison Ford is what, like 35 or older in A New Hope? Something like that. And Alden Ehrenreich's what, pushing 30, maybe more? Yeah, I don't really know. Um, uh, Alden, yeah. I think we're all in agreement. If, if you're going to have to do Solo in the live action show, which honestly I think they're kind of just going to avoid the original trilogy characters, if I had to guess. That'd but, be my guess. But if you're going to do it, do Al- do Alden. What do you think, Will? Do you have one for Han? Oh yeah, uh, I don't have one for Han. Alden Alden would be yeah. the, make the most sense to me. Uh, and even if you did Luke and Leia, I would totally get Millie Bobby Brown as a young Princess Leia, and uh, Luke Skywalker. I would cast a rando, you know, whoever see, fit. With with Millie Bobby Brown, she's not old enough. I don't think because the you know the Live action shows taking place after Return of the Jedi. Oh, okay. So I don't think right. she. I can, I'm totally. I thought with we were that. talking about if, if at all they ever did young. Oh, I see what you're saying. Or if they didn't, you know, you know what I'm saying. I thought the question was if you were going to do Luke, Leia, and Han I again, see, I see. recast. No, this is specifically for this Jean Favreau. Jean Favreau. Live action. Yeah, you would show. totally have to cast whoever whoever did the best in the audition. Yeah, I can't really think of someone to play Leia. Uh, like, I love the idea of Mil- Millie Bobby Brown playing Leia, but she just doesn't fit that timeline age-wise. <clears throat> Do you well, have- you could always you could always just get Bobby Brown to play. Oh, Princess Leia. That would his, fit. That's He'd his part. That's, that's his prerogative. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I don't know who I would pick to to play Leia in that era. It, it, honestly, Sebastian Shaw does look, admittedly, a lot like Mark Hamill, but I don't know that you could spend that kind of money on, on TV. Well, well, I don't know, man. Maybe, maybe you could. I don't know. I, That's a t- I mean, I, that would be gonna my be a, an app exclusive show, right? It ain't gonna yeah. be on a channel, right? Right. Yeah, but I mean, you got John Favreau running the thing. I and I have a 
feeling that they're spending some bucks on it just because they have him. I suspect there's a, a, a reason that it's specifically him. So maybe they can, maybe they're planning on this thing being a huge cash cow. I mean, obviously everything they do, they expect it to make money. That's why they, they make the decisions they make, but maybe they've really got, you know, an analyst who they figured out a way to turn this into a huge deal. So maybe they could, or maybe, maybe they're banking on the thing that like, look, dude, you get to play Luke Skywalker. We need you to do this for like $20. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> be like, you know what? I've dreamt about this since I was a little boy. I'll do it. Right. You say I have to pay you $20? Yeah, that's what we meant. You have to pay us $20. <laughs> Bob Iger takes that 20 and puts it in his pocket, and he's like, fuck yeah. Coffee on <laughs> Hands him a little plastic lightsaber. So, yeah, I mean, that's one of those things. Like, we used to say back in the day when the Solo movie was first announced, like, I do not want to have to be the person that has to recast those original trilogy roles. But I do feel like, even if it's not for this live-action TV show, it's a matter of time before we see someone besides Mark Hamill play um, Luke Luke Skywalker at some point. You know? Um, a matter of if. Or, or a matter of when, not if. Is what I'm well, saying. Well, when you consider the amount of story there is to tell between the end of Return of the Jedi and the events of The Force Awakens into The Last Jedi, Luke is the, like the linchpin of all that. And exactly. 30 gotta, years of story they can yeah. explore. It, it, because, let's face it, the beginning of The Force Awakens revolves around the fact that Luke did all this stuff and now here we are. So they have to tell that story somehow. And it, visual makes the most money in reverse order from, you know, from tall to small, from the from movies down to, right. I guess, animated would be the end. Of course, we've never had the live action, so we don't know where that falls in. Will it make more money than an animated series? Or will it bring in more money but cost so much more to make that it doesn't actually make as much money? Oh no! You follow me? And yeah. I still don't understand how streaming services, you know, get what makes money. I guess you see how many streams or how many downloads a certain thing has had, but I still don't understand how that's monetized. Well, I mean, you know, obviously it's all through subscriptions. Like Netflix, own, like there's no real advertising in Netflix. You know, they don't do ads and stuff, so they don't make money that way. It's all about. Their subscription right, base. but how do you tell what makes money? Like, is it how many new subscriptions you get that month? But that can't be. Um. Well, I imagine. Well, you know, Netflix can definitely tell how much something has been viewed. You know, they right. you they release stats like not hard numbers, but they'll be like, you know, uh, Daredevil was the most streamed original series in Netflix history, and then something will break that record. You know. So well, what what they do is I'm sorry, Hoss, I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. What they do is they monitor. Okay, let's use Hulu as an example. They acquired the exclusive rights to stream Seinfeld, and of course now their business model is a little bit different because they also make money off of advertising. But the the premise is still the same. So they acquire this thing as 
sort of like a, this is their premium content. They look and see how what how many new subscribers they get, and then they monitor this particular thing was this popular among subscribers who have been with us two plus years or whatever, and they break it down by demographic and by uh, length of length of doing business with him yeah and so they see if okay well when we added this and announced it our uptake in subscribers was this but then it turns out that the still the most viewed thing was this other thing they know okay well now we know that announcements like this generate subscribers but they come and stay for this other thing over here. They, they just look at all that data and figure out what what's driving them in and what's keeping them there. Right. Yeah. So statistics and math. Yes, with the numbers and that stuff. All the stuff data I'm terrible analysis. at. Now, one thing that really gets me, and I know that we all talked about this when it was first announced, but the thing I keep coming back to when they talk about this streaming service is in their announcement, they use the word substantially less expensive than Netflix. And I'm thinking, Netflix is not that expensive. So when they say substantially, I expect it to be at least 40% less. I don't know why that number just sticks in my head. If you say substantial, it's 40%. Right, right. If you said quite a bit, I maybe would have said 25. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But, but... So how much cheaper can it get and still make them the kind of money they're going to need to make to yeah. support something like a live-action TV show? I, okay, if you're Disney, you know you've got every parent, every Disney parent, instantly. You know, every Disney parent has to have the Disney app. And I don't know how many Disney parents there are out there, but there's a lot. Like, that's right. just... That's instantly people that are going to buy your app off the bat. Like, well, you know. And, you know, they're obviously producing original content for this. But they also think amount about the amount of content that they have already in the can. That You know what I'm saying? Movies and TV shows, Disney stuff that they don't have to spend a dime on. Old stuff. Create. Stuff yeah. that was on the Disney Channel when I was growing up. That right. doesn't, you know... They could archive that and pull it up. Right. So, you know, it's not solely for original content. So, you know, it's not like they're having to fill this whole platform with really expensive original content. Although I agree with what you're saying, Eric. Like, you know, I'm trying to think of how much I pay. I pay for a little bit more for my Netflix ex- subscription because I do the 4K streaming. I think it's still only like 15 bucks a month or something. Yeah, I do the just digital. Right, right. I don't do and this. it's like eight or nine bucks a month. I think maybe ten or twelve. I can't somewhere. It's from eight to twelve bucks a month. I can't remember. I can't see the Disney service being less than ten bucks a month. I would. Right, be, that's what I'm thinking. I'd be aghast. I, 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 yeah, I'm with Eric. Where I don't. How many see... subscribers do you have to expect for it to be six bucks a month? Like six, seven. Right. Bucks a month. And the thing is, is like. Uh, if anything fell to the wayside and they were like, yeah, sorry about that, it might be that Bob Iger statement where he was like, yeah, we think we can do this cheaper than Netflix and Hulu and stuff. I don't, you know, I don't know that for sure, but. Or substantially cheaper than Netflix would be a dollar. <laughs> right, like, right. It, it would be a dollar cheaper. Or than substantially cheaper than Netflix. It, they're going by the, like, the highest Netflix tier. 
like, yeah. yeah, like the $30 Netflix that you could get if you want like fucking eight family members watching in 4K all at once or something, right? <clears throat> but yeah, that that's always something that I've kind of wondered like, how are they going to pull that off? How are they going to pull that shit off? Because And how are they going to limit sharing? Because I think that's one of Netflix and Hulu's biggest problems is like sharing codes, sharing accounts. Yeah. yeah. If there yeah. would be anybody that would figure out how to get around that, it'd probably be Disney. Be Disney. Yeah, well, because one thing that uh, Netflix does is they they can tell how many IP addresses are accessing it simultaneously. Right. You know. Now they may put some some sort of limitation on there that like over the span of time geographically i mean that you can't like you can't have two ip addresses that are located in excess of insert number of miles here hmm. accessing it simultaneously i it, but i mean it may be one of those things where it's just cheaper for them to just let it go yeah like, okay, whatever i with the net neutrality up in the air the way it is i mean if it goes in their favor, they could start throwing up roadblocks to like numbers of accounts or IPs or whatever. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like some like, you know, I've got a Hulu account. I occasionally let my friends use my Hulu account. If I'm watching on something on Hulu and one of my friends tries to access that account, it's like it kicks me off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like if they're using my account and I go to watch Hulu, it kicks them off. Right. Um, I think that's pretty much like the basic version of trying to protect their accounts like that. Like I could see. I Disney mean, that's that. that's fairly smart. I mean, that's yeah, and and like you know, sense. I understand. Um, but yeah, I don't know. They, I I would imagine there is going to be some sort of protection or you know some sort of system that keeps you from. Having like one group of friends that's like, all right, I bought the Disney account this this month. Here's the username and password, everybody. We're all Putting watching. The username stars. and password up on Twitter. Right. <laughs> right. So, I don't know. I don't know. I did read. It's a little while back, and, and it was totally unrelated to Disney and Star Wars, but I did read an article about um, Netflix and Hulu and all those guys' biggest problem is account sharing. So, I don't know. But, like I said, if there's somebody that can figure out how to cut that shit off, it'll be Disney. Well, the smarter your screens get, the smarter your TVs and stuff get, you'll be able, I'm sure, just, you know, assumption, you'll be able to register specific screens with Netflix. Uh-huh. And if your specifically registered screen isn't one of the ones on your list, I bet you can't watch on that screen. There's already um, sort of versions of that now where, like, if you have cable TV... And you want to use like I don't know the CBS app or the ESPN app. You, you have gotta to put your cable. Yeah, you gotta like put in your cable name, username, and password, and there's a special code and like there's some. Yeah, you usually to have to call your cable company to get. Um. Well, I haven't run into that yet, but maybe that's just with our specific cable company. It's probably different depending on who you have cable through. You know. Yeah. You know what they what they do a lot of times is they have a a portal that they've they've partnered with these major providers and so like with the disney uh whatever they call it now 
it used to be, you know, how there's a Disney app and a Disney XD app, but now it's all rolled into one. But you, you go there and you click whatever. I think it's D-Now. Is it the D-Now app or something like that? Oh, you're about that's to get the D-Now. Yeah, that's what she said and he said. But the uh, it just re- it routes you to your cable provider where you log in with your cable companies w- with your credentials, like whatever you use to pay your bill or whatever. Right. And it verifies that you have a subscription. But, you know, one thing they could do, like Will's saying, you know how with iTunes, for example, you can register your iTunes account on oh, specific yeah. devices. Where you have to, and yeah. You, you can only do so many. And it's like you can, it's sort of unlimited on changing it, but they, ma- it, they make it a pain in the ass to do it. And, you know, that's one thing they can do with devices is because of the way it all works, Every single one of those things has a specific MAC address. Yeah, absolutely. So, which is if for you people that don't know, it's a, like it's sort of like an IP address, except it's device specific and it never changes. For every network adapter has a specific MAC address, and so they could do it that way. So does like every, you have this? Every yeah. console has it. Every TV, like yeah, yeah. Yeah, your your TV probably has two. It's got one for the wireless adapter and one for the Ethernet adapter. And it's like, all right, you've got this MAC address registered with this app, and you get two more. And if you change one and this falls off, then you have to go online and do this, this, mm-hmm. and this. And people only people only put up with that for so long. They're like, you know what, eight bucks a month? Yeah, man, I'll pay for that. So you hear this, Disney? We got three guys right here that are ready to come and help you lock your shit down. There's, we got it figured out. There, we, we've got some... You know, you got to pay us decently, and we need 20 Disney accounts apiece. Disney That's streaming right. service p- accounts apiece. That way all but our they, friends aren't like, you fuckers, you helped them screw me out of a free Disney account. I was going <laughs> to share it with my friends. But now, the, we, our rates we, the rates we charge, substantially lower than Netflix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Substantially. Well, Eric, buddy, thank you so much for coming by and spending the evening with us. It was a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me, guys. It's just, I love what you guys do. You are definitely one of my absolute most favorite Star Wars podcasts, and I listen every week. Oh, thanks, buddy. Thank you so much, and why thank you for being here. Why don't you uh, let our good listeners know where they can uh, they can find you? So yeah, check me. I, you can follow me on Twitter at Eric Strathers. You can listen to me every week on the Bad Motivators. We drop ep- new episodes every Wednesday. You can also listen to me on Making Star Wars Network's very own The Sith List. New episodes every Sunday. And this upcoming week, we will be recording the 100th episode. <laughs> Not the 100th episode that I've been on, but I'm on the backs of all their hard work. So that'll be coming up soon. And uh, yeah, man, check it out. It's, it's some good stuff. Oh, I also do a a sup- supposedly monthly, but run a little behind show on the Steel Wars podcast feed called Strathers Wars. It's really pretty rad where I interview Patreon subscribers, supporters of Steel's about their favorite episodes of the podcast. Heck Yes. Heck yes. There you go. Uh, guys, if you like our theme song, please be sure to check out the band that was kind enough to provide the music. They're Stoned Cobra. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, or at stonedcobra.bandcamp.com. 
uh, I want to thank you guys uh, for helping us out with the reviews. We got a couple of shitty reviews after the whole, you know, Jimmy Mac Rebel Force Radio thing. Not, however, as bad as some of our friends have been getting it. So, you know, if you got a chance to go help out, now this is podcasting, Rebel Girl, Steel Wars. They've been really been getting hit with the bad reviews from these fucking psychos. So why don't you give them a hand too? But I just wanted to say thanks for helping us out. You guys were really cool. Left us a couple of positive reviews. Marked the bad ones that were left there as not, you know, not helpful and what have you. So we definitely appreciate that, guys. And uh, I think that about does it. So until next week, this has been Blue Harvest. I'm Halls Burkhart. And I'm Will Witten. And I'm Eric Strathers. Strathers. May the force be with you. <laughs> May the force be with all of you. May the force be with us. <laughs> <laughs>